if you had five minutes to live. Okay, if you had five minutes left to live, who would you call? What would you say? Anybody? Want to answer that one? If you had five minutes left to live, who would you call? What would you say? Anybody? Five minutes left to live, who would you call? What would you say? Come on. Who? You'd call Bentley? Oh, family. You'd call family, Matt. What would you say? I love you. Um, it's probably the answer for most of us, isn't it? If you think about it, though, it's, it's really funny how uh, oftentimes in our lives we don't, we don't practice the five-minute rule. It'd be interesting if we did. The scripture we're going to handle today is... It's really hard to tell you the truth. It's, it's, it's difficult because we've heard it so much, and yet I don't know if we've heard it so much. You know what I'm saying? Somebody said that if a man really decided to do a true self-examination of their life, they would go to 1 Corinthians 13. Would you be willing or would I be willing to do that kind of examination today? Would you be willing to do the kind of examination and listen to the word as to what Christ could say to you and you only today with the word? The things that we're going to talk about today, I want you to know that everyone in this room wants to be loved like this. But the things we're going to talk about today, is it's very difficult for us to love like this. Do you follow? Really easy and really, really passionate about wanting to receive this kind of love, but to give this kind of love, that's a totally different deal. And we're not going to be able to cover just in detail, exegete every verse for some reason, we're going to cover all of 13. We're supposed to talk about 1 Corinthians 13 today. And it's been really, really horrible for me this week. Because a lot of people believe this is maybe one of the, one of the most beautiful chapters in the whole Bible. So I'm not going to feel the weight of all that. <laughs> turn, turn there. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul talks up there that from verse 1 through 3 about the real necessity of love, doesn't he? Love is patient. 
And love is kind, and love does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. It is not rude, and it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Before I uh, finish, uh, you can also, in your study of this, if you were to study this this week, it would be really interesting to, to insert wherever you see love, um, put Christ there, and it would be true. And then whenever you put Christ there, maybe the person, the name you could put after that would be then your name, and then you'd have to ask, would it be true, or is it true? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, and it always trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled, and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. This is really the grace piece of the scripture. This helps us. Because when you read these things, you realize how far short you really uh, are. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, and when perfection comes, Jesus, the imperfect, disappears. When I was a child... I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish th- uh, ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection is in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. God, we pray that this morning you would use the reading of your word, you would use your scripture to do a deep work only by your spirit that you can do. Lord, I pray that you would use this very feeble and broken and insane vessel that is me to uh, speak such a, a, an unbelievably in, uh, infinite and intimate and beautiful and big, giant truth. I, 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 I can't do it. And so, Lord, we... I, I pray, I, I beg you to uh, speak to us this morning in this and to do a work in our lives in this, um, especially me. Uh, we pray in your name, amen. Um, the history, what was going on here a little bit, um, the Corinthian Christians, uh, as far as what's been happening, we've been talking in 1 Corinthians in our series, the, Corinthi- the uh, Corinthian Christians were really struggling, folks, in their faith. They were not necessarily walking by the Spirit. They were pretty self-consumed, self-designing, self-willed, self-motivated. They were doing everything possible to promote their own interests and welfare. Everyone was kind of doing their own thing with little, very little regard for what was going on with others. And among the many things that this church, this young church lacked, uh, maybe the most significant thing that they lacked was was love, and so Paul writes a beautiful letter to them about love, and is specifically teaching them about a very unique and different kind of love. Agape love is one of the rarest words in ancient Greek literature, and that's what Paul is talking about here. But one of the most common in the New Testament, unlike our English love, it never refers to the romantic or sexual love for which eros was used and which does not appear in the New Testament, nor does it refer to mere sentiment, a pleasant feeling about something or someone. It does not mean close friendship or brotherly love, for which 
philia is used. Agape love is active. This is interesting. Not abstract or passive. Paul's talking to us today about agape love. It does not simply, now follow this because this is important. A lot of things hinge on this. Agape love is active and not passive or abstract. It does not feel, simply just feel patience. It practices patience. This isn't necessarily a description, uh, even from when we, you read the scripture here, it doesn't necessarily give us a description about what love is. It gives us a, a description about what love does. And those two are very different things. Think about it. What does love do? It's not simply feel patient. It practices patience. It does not simply have kind feelings. It does kind things. It does not simply recognize the truth. It rejoices in the truth. I've become a complete and utterly addicted Friday Night Lights fan. Good grief. This is something that's been going on for a while. And finally, my oldest daughter came to town last week. And she talked, to me, she talked me into watching Friday Night Lights. A week later, I'm through episode 20. <laughs> in the first season, Matt Sarazen is a high school sophomore in a small Texas town, for those of you that uh, haven't seen it. And he's the starting quarterback on the varsity football team, and no one uh, really knows this, but uh, Matt has a secret. The secret that he um, has is that he's the primary, giver, uh, primary caregiver of his mentally ill grandmother named Lorraine. His father's in Iraq and is pretty much non-existent in the story. And if left alone, his grandmother does a lot of crazy things. And one night, Matt finally gets to go on a date and he's asked his best friend Landry to babysit his grandmother. I think this may even be Matt's first date. So he gets a call from Landry during the date. And, he's, and Landry says to Matt, you need to come home right now. Your grandmother's locked herself in the bathroom and she won't come out. The last thing in the world that I'm sure Matt Saracen wanted to do at that point was to pick up and go and try to get his grandmother out of the closet. So he goes. And in an extremely touching scene, he stands outside the bathroom door and he begins to talk with his grandmother that she still won't come out. And finally, she says, Joel, is that you? Who is actually the name of her deceased husband. Joel, is that you? Are you out there? By the time this scene happens, both his friend Landry and his date Julie are in the room and they're watching this scene. And what Matt decides to do is pretty unbelievable. He decides to lower his voice and act like his deceased grandfather. He begins to say, yes, honey, it's me. She says, oh, Joel, it's you. Joel, will you please sing me our song? And he stands outside the bathroom door. 
and he sings Mr. Sandman. It wrecked me because it's the gospel. It's a perfect picture of what Paul's talking about. Love is fully love only when it acts. Because love, get this now, love actually walks into the insanity that is our lives and it sings. It actually walks into the darkness and it brings light. Have you actually stood outside any bathrooms lately and sung a song of love to anybody? Maybe the insanity that is your marriage. The insanity of a lost daughter, a lost son. The insane and dark circumstances that one of your friends may be in. What does love do? Love gets in a car and love goes back and love stands outside the doors and sings. God sent his son Jesus to stand outside the door and sing the song of redemption. That's what love does. Many of us think that the only way we could ever do that is if there was some beautiful first warm feeling of emotion that would send me there. In other words, the, the only way that I would really act is if I were being carried away by some great emotion. This is one of our real problems and one of the things that really keeps many of us as children. But that's not agape love. Agape love, the love that Paul's talking about here, is, is acting it doesn't necessarily answer the question, what is love? Like I said, it answers the question, what does love do? And then what it does is it does the hard work of doing it. Did you hear what I said there? It does the hard work of doing it. Most of us believe that feelings precede obedience. It's not true. As with all of God's word, we cannot and we will not begin to understand love or obedience until we begin to apply it to our lives. Moses had absolutely no feelings to go and save the children of Israel. He didn't want to do it. He didn't feel love for those bricklayers. God asked him to do it. However, this is one of our great struggles. You really need to hear me because I think I'm dealing with this a lot with all of you, my friends, that I love very much here in Nashville. And it's this, our feelings are the ruling factors in most of our decisions. And when I say that to you, I'm not looking at you and telling you that you cannot have feelings. God has made us with feelings. God has asked us to understand the mixture and the beautiful balance between obedience and feelings. Fact and feelings. When I was a young man, I thought that you can never have faith, you can never have feelings. Well, of course, that's not true. You have it all. But what rules? 
Our, our feelings were never designed to rule, and if that were true, I could wake up tomorrow and not feel like I want to be married. Wouldn't that go over great, by the way? Honey, I just want you to know it's Monday, and I don't feel like being married today. So I won't be. Take Monday off. I'll obey on Tuesday. And then I'll do that every other day. I'll have every other day obedience. How ridiculous. But I want you to know that most of us do live our lives like that. Our feelings, our feelings about whatever the case may be, are the ruling factor. In other words, in this case, we rarely say, wait a minute, what does love do? What does love do here? What, what would Jesus do? Yes, what does love do? For instance, it's amazing how many of us, uh, we, we have, um, I, I don't say this with, with anger, I just say this is true. We have, a, we have a really a terrible problem at Midtown, just like getting folks to help. Do you know that? I'm just wanting to share, share that with you. It's just, it's just hard. It, we, for, from everything from setup to all kinds of things, it, there's like, like a lot of things going on. And so before I get all into that, it's so funny how when you talk to people, I just want, like, everybody thinks like, well, when I say to them, hey, we, we really need people to maybe change a diaper. And the person goes, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to do that. No joke, dude. <laughs> Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, yay, I get to change diapers. Awesome. It's, my God, it's God's gift to me. I'm gifted to change diapers. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I've got to go make coffee. I want to go, I want to go park people at mid... No, it, that's, not, that's not what we do. But what I would encourage you to do is to answer, ask, ask at least ask the question, what, is love, what would love do? See, because that's That's beautiful. That's the kind of motivation that Paul's talking about, right? It's, it's, so, it's so kind of indicting for me to hear that because as I looked in this, this scripture, I, this, I don't know if you as I look at this this week, I just went, I, I don't do this stuff. Just had two major things I wanted to talk with you. One is love is fully love only when it acts. So I wanted to talk to you about agape love being acting in nature. And then I wanted to finish with this. Is agape love always pays a price. It always pays a price. A young man was taking uh, his daughter and son to the mall. And when they got to the mall, they saw that there was an 18-wheeler in the parking lot. And in the parking lot, there was this, out of this 18-wheeler was this little petting zoo. And this was back a while ago, and the dad got out of the car with the two kids. Brandon was five, and Helen was eight. They looked at the petting zoo, and they said, Daddy, can we go to the petting zoo? And there was a man there who watched the kids, and he's, you know, he gave them, gave them some change, and they went in, and he took off into Sears, and he's not gone for more than about five minutes, and sure enough, right on his coattails is little Helen. He looks around and, he, and he, he's surprised because he says, well, don't, you'd much rather go to the petting zoo than come into Sears and look at the tools with me, wouldn't you? She says, Daddy, it was 50 cents. Mm-hmm. You only gave us 25. I gave my quarter to Brandon. Brandon. 
And then the dad in the story says, um, it, it really asks an interesting question. The next question he asks is, what do you think I did? What he did was he took uh, little Helen down and they stood by the fence and they watched Brandon go crazy petting and feeding the animals. And he said this, there was quarters burning a hole in my pocket. And I never offered it. And she never asked for it. Because he wanted to teach his daughter a very important lesson about love. And that's what love always doesn't get what it wants. It has to pay a price. It's horrible to hear. But love's expensive. Love makes sacrifices. Let me ask you a question, brother and sister. Son or daughter of God, let me ask you a question today. Do you make sacrifices? Do you love like that? This last week I was mowing my lawn. When you mow your lawn in a little subdivision, you, everybody has where you mow. I got my lawn, you have your lawn. I got my grill, you got your grill. I got my side of the fence, you got your side of the fence. I got my hose, you got your hose. Me, you. So I'm going down, I'm going down the edge of the property line. And I'm wanting to stay on my side. Because God forbid I'd go an inch into my neighbor's side. Because if I do that, what's the next thought that I'm thinking? I'm thinking this. Okay, I'm going to mow the whole side. I'm going to mow their side. But what's the next thought I'm thinking? Oh, geez. If I mow the whole side, they're going to expect it every time. Isn't it true? That's what Paul says when he says, love bears all things. Love is not self-seeking. So I begrudgingly mowed the whole side. It always cost me something. It's going to cost me to be patient. Listen now. It's going to cost, cost me because love is going to bankrupt my envy and my, bo my, my boasting. It wants to empty my pockets of my pride and my arrogance. It's going to cost me my resentful and bitter attitudes towards people that I just really want to tell you something I don't like. One of the horribly expensive things that agape loves is that it love does is that it takes a massive toll on our hearts. It's one of the reasons why we don't want to do agape love because heart work is very costly. It's time consuming when a friend wants to come to me and I look at them or they look at me and they say I need to tell you the truth and I'm supposed to rejoice in that truth. That costs my heart a lot. It hurts. By the way, love does that. Did you know that? Everybody likes to quote this verse like we need to be kind and great and awesome with each other. But do you know that love actually tells the truth to each other and rejoices in the truth too? It's all of it. It's not, just, it's not one. It's not this, I'm just little, this flowery little package. Who are you? Everything's great. It's 
costly. Heart work is extremely costly and it's extremely time consuming. And in our time sensitive culture, where no one can look up past their cell phone and have a conversation anymore, it's very costly. It's snotty face crying. You ever snotty face crying somebody in front of somebody? I mean, you like snotty face, really bad. Somebody was crying in front of me a couple weeks ago. And they went, oh, I'm sorry. My, my face gets really ugly when I cry. <laughs> I go, like, you're gonna, you, you can control that. <laughs> that's okay. But that's, that, that's what love does. It's horrible confessing. It really is. It's saying things that I don't want to say. My daughter was leaving last week to Minnesota. It was tough. It's going up there with her husband of a year, and they're going to go to Bible school. She left. She was leaving in the car. She's never been away from home. And, you know, have you ever, have you ever choked on the gumball of the three words? The gumball being, I love you. You ever choked on that? I was choking bad. Maybe it was because I didn't want a snotty face cry. God wants us to choke on those words. But guess what? God wants those words to come out way more than they come out now. Way more. You ever been so filled up with love for somebody that you just had to look at them right there and say, I just love you. Maybe it's not your wife. Maybe it's not your brother. It's just, I just love you. Dave Verdon was going through a difficult time last week. We'd had a really cool day where I felt like the Lord needed me to speak into his life, say some strong things to him. He's really dealing with it. And the next day, I texted him. I kind of felt good about this. Maybe I'm boasting in my love. I said, it's simple. I love you. And it really is, isn't it? Is it that simple with us? Maybe you're old like me and you've been here and you're going, it's just not that simple. It's too complicated. How could I ever say those words or feel this kind of love for a person that I'm bitter and that I hate? Read the word, brother and sister. Let the Lord do his work in your heart. In verse 5, look there. One of the hard things that love does in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13. I have so, many, you know, so much to talk about, but I wanted to hit on this one. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, the no record of wrongs is a bookkeeping metaphor. The bookkeeping metaphor is the concept that each one of us, Paul, very, 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 very insightfully says that each one, could it be true that each one of us carries around a little black ledger in our hearts? People's names on the top who have wronged us? One author said it like this. Resentment is careful to keep the books which it reads and rereads hoping for a chance to get even. Love burns the book.
Okay. The expensive nature of agape, let me finish by saying this because it's important. We talk about this every Sunday because this is the gospel. But it's good for us to hear, especially me. The expensive nature of the gospel draws its direct meaning from the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make on the cross on our behalf. Love paid a price. God so loved the world, and he gave. It was a love that reached out to those who didn't deserve it and a love that put the interest of others first, a love that forgave people, started over, allowed them to start over, a love that sacrificed itself for others. It is the essence of God's nature to us. And now, uh, this Jesus says to us, this is my commandment. Listen to this. It's really beautiful. This is my commandment. By the way, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. And the question remains there. Well, Jesus, how exactly did you love us? You sacrificed your life for a dirty little ragamuffin like me. Even though I didn't deserve it, you hunted me down with love in one hand and mercy in the other. You see, when I begin to understand what Jesus has done for me, and this is the crucial point, when I begin to appropriate God's sacrificial love for me, try to get the connection here, when I begin to understand what Jesus has done for me, when I begin to appropriate God's sacrificial love for me, it is then that I can begin to hunt down others with love and mercy. I can begin to give them agape, but it won't happen without that. God's love has made it possible for us to do that. After some recent academic success at school, a young, boy came, a young boy came home to his mother and said, Mother, am I not a wonder? W-O-N-D-E-R. But the real truth is the son or daughter who swims in deeper waters of love who turns that statement around and says, I can't get over the wonder that I am loved and that Jesus sacrificed for me and that he continues to love me in all of my craziness and in all of my insanity. Thank you, Jesus. Don't ever let us get over the wonder that we are loved because out of that wonder, we'll love others. It's a good message for us to hear today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Um, we're especially humbled by your word today. It's probably really good. Use it. Convict us and speak to us. Pray that um, we would be people that would be so captured and caught up in what you've done for us that it would actually bleed out into our lives. I pray that um, you would even give us the strength to begin to even love like this the way that you've shared in your scripture today. We need all of your help. So guide and direct us and do your work, we pray in your name. Amen.